The Grancidillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Well, John, thank you. It's actually a little overwhelming listening to all that you had to say. And, uh, and I actually emailed my doctor for the first time this year. We were going on a trip to Egypt, and they'd sent us this long list of all the drugs you were supposed to take with you to go to Egypt. And I no, thought, we're not connected to Egypt yet. Okay. <laughs> well, and so I emailed her, and I sent her what they sent us, and she replied, and then she actually sent the prescriptions in, and I never had to go in or anything. Yeah. It was fabulous. Uh, and so I learned I need to do that more often Absolutely. and save a lot of time in the doctor's office. So questions, do we have folks? Yes, we'll start right here. And I think we have a microphone, thank you. John, uh, Ken Rabon, I talked to you yep. at the beginning. In 2000, um, I developed a company named DoctorAppointment.com and the model was exactly this uh, connectivity. Our business model was to contact the insurance company and ask them to increase their premium for the patient nine cents per month per member. And, uh, to eliminate all these uh, mistakes. Their main concern was this security, that you cannot have everything online, and there was just paranoid. And I said, you know what? Uh, I have gout, and I'm willing to publish that. I don't know why there is such a concern. I wanted to know if you can uh, put some light on that. And in case if McKesson is uh, interested, I would like to talk to you about bringing that business model to you. <laughs> Well, as luck would have it, we actually have uh, our senior vice president of that business, who uh, Brian Bertha, who is in the room today, because he knew I was going to talk about it and wanted to make sure I didn't screw it up. So <laughs> uh, ho hopefully I didn't. Um, your concern is still valid today, uh, and we still hear that from a number of insurance um, companies as we do the program. Um, we, we have been running the model for a number of years. Uh, and. Well, let me, let me take it back. There's actually two things. The interaction between physicians uh, is, is pretty prevalent today. I mean, you can do that on a regular basis, and payers really don't mind. Because the payer isn't getting involved with the patient. The payer's getting involved with the pharmacist. So the connectivity between the pharmacist and the payer, they're fine with. There's absolutely no issue. Um, if they had to share information directly with the patient, some of them have, have some issues with that. Um, we have payers with the medication therapy management program, where if you walk in and you're a diabetic and we want the pharmacist to say, look, you're a diabetic, here's the regimen that you need to take and here's what you need to do over the next uh, few months and I'll track you. Some payers still don't want the pharmacist to do that. Uh, they would rather only have the connectivity to the doctor and they're, still, they're very concerned about that information sharing. Uh, over the last three years, I would say, and Brian do this or this, um, and I'll pick a number, um, I would say we probably moved the dial from about 10% of the payers to maybe 60%, about 60%. Uh, <laughs> of, You're doing of, really yeah, good, John. <laughs> of, of the payers who now allow that information you know, to, to, to go across the entire spectrum. Uh, we believe that'll be 100% here quickly because not being part of this program now is a disadvantage for payers. I would like to ask you a question about the first part, healthcare delivery, as uh, related to malpractice and tort reform. 
Because one of the problems is you, while the doctors are well covered, whatever, insurance, pharmacist is not that well covered, the practitioner nurse, I don't think she's that covered. So what happened when there is a problem there and you get um, sued, and if you're doing something to change, the, to do tort reform and avoid that? Mm -hmm. the, the system, what we call is adverse drug effects. So, you know, those beeping sounds that I heard all the time, nobody really knows those beeps are going off if you don't have the system. Uh, so, so mistakes are happening in the hospital and we call those adverse drug effects. If you can prevent those adverse drug effects and you can show that in the hospital, what the hospital then does is they take that data and they go back to the insurance company and say, my premium of a gazillion dollars needs to be a gazillion dollars minus 20% um, because we are a safe hospital that is tracking everything that's happening. And so you can, you can change your premiums by utilizing this type of technology, number one. Uh, number two, the tort reform question that you have and the concern that you have that everybody in the healthcare system is going to have the ability to do something, they're doing that already. What this does is it tracks everything that was done. And in fact, nurses initially say, I don't want to do that because I don't want my name or my barcode to be responsible for something that's happening. They quickly change because it tracks everything that they're doing. And if they're doing something wrong, it beeps and tells them not to do it. So the, efficiencies, the efficiency rate of what they're doing and the quality of what they're doing goes up tremendously. Um, that doesn't solve for the, tort reform, the, the tort reform issue, but when they're being sued, they have tons of data to back up whatever happened with that patient. The doctors also have the ability to get real-time information for whatever disease state that they're seeing. So today, uh, a doctor walks in and you walk in with a specific disease state, the doc says, oh, I, I saw this about eight years ago. And I remember this is what I did, and this is what I prescribed, and I remember reading an article on it the other day. Um, and so it's all done by memory. Today, they can see that disease state. They can actually push it out or, or, or get it through the information on their system. It can tell you the protocol for that disease state and recommend uh, solutions for that doctor as they're with that patient. So if a mistake is made, they can actually go back to the system uh, that was published um, for, for that specific disease state, and, and, it, and it helps from a tort reform perspective. It's a problem, and I'm not trying to say this solves the tort reform problem. I think that's the one thing our government missed. Uh, well, one of others, uh, <laughs> but that is certainly the one thing that they missed uh, in, in this debate. But this kind of a system also would, you would, should have fewer malpractice Absolutely. cases that would, in effect, help that issue Correct. independent of tort reform because yep. you're going to have fewer mistakes. Well, and it's subjective today. Right. And the doctor said I needed to do this and it was the wrong decision. Well, when the doctor is asked that question now, he's got sheets of information that says this is why we prescribe this, this uh, therapy. The hospital in Ohio that is doing this, it's kind of the pilot. What, I don't know if you would have this data, but do, what have they shown in terms of the reduction in you know, accidental deaths, the reduction in mistakes? Do they, and they may not, they may be confidential data, but what are they seeing just in general in regard to that as they've implemented yeah, the system? I, I think they've only been in operation for a little over a year so now. It's so still they're compiling early. the data. What they have said and said publicly is they certainly are reducing a ton of cost. Mm -hmm. uh, and the quality of care is certainly in the area that they projected it mm -hmm. to be in the business case, but they haven't given any specifics yet. John, uh, your company's ninety billion, but still playing with much larger players. The government, in some companies, I mean, some players are not very efficient. Is there any uh, 
interest to buy hospitals or HMOs so you can expedite the process to implement new technology? Because those are the bottleneck. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think uh, we are constantly looking. I actually brought my merger and acquisition guy here today, too. Uh, so you can give me the sign. We should have had a panel uh, yeah, yeah, discussion exactly. at the end of this, shouldn't exactly. we? Exactly. <laughs> you know, always be prepared. Um, you know, we, we are constantly looking at mergers and acquisitions and looking at the different parts of the supply chain. I, I mean, I think we have always been a company uh, that is grounded on the principle that we don't compete with our customers. Um, and I don't think there's a desire for us um, to go downstream uh, and actually get into um, the practice of healthcare. I mean, I think we want to provide systems, automation, expertise, um, all of the things that we can do to make the healthcare professional who's actually in front of the patient a heck of a lot better, uh, but there's no desire uh, in our company to actually be that healthcare provider. Um, but we are constantly looking at all kinds of different opportunities to enhance our, our business relationship within healthcare, but I don't think that's, that's one that's on our radar screen. Mike. Thank you, John. Uh, none of us are very excited about the idea of the government running health care um, in the country. And it, it always boggles my mind when I talk to my friends, it just, you know, with the, with the uh, uh, executives in, in your industry, across all segments of your industry, it's almost like, why are they letting this happen? Why, why can't we lock 100 of you guys up in a room and not let you out until you fix this problem instead of letting the government do what they're doing? Is it, is it so diverse that, that there's no communication between hospitals and doctors and, and suppliers and is it just too is it just too big to fix it, it is a massive bureaucracy it, it is uh, there are a lot of disparate areas within the healthcare system that don't talk to each other and quite frankly quite frankly there are a lot of different uh, venues for success a manufacturer's success is a lot different than a hospital's success I, mean, I think they look at the industry differently. We like to say at McKesson, from a public policy perspective, that you better be at the table or you're going to be on the menu. Uh, and that's how we kind of handle public policy. And in order to be at the table, you have to come in with solutions. Um, and a number of our, of our groups in healthcare will walk in with their individual mandate. Uh, this is what I need, this is what I want, and, and this is how it, it impacts the healthcare. Um, when you have 10 different sides to an argument and you're a politician in Washington, you very quickly cut off all 10. Um, what we are trying to do as an organization, um, and, and when I say, I think McKesson is trying to lead the way in herding the cats to come up with a solution set that represents the industry that walks in and says, here is the best solution that we all can agree on. The good news is we can do some of those things on certain issues. The bad news is it's very difficult to get everybody to agree on the same, on the same principle. Um, and, and that's why the government has really taken it upon themselves to make some of those decisions. Uh, and I, I don't think the industry is going to like the outcome. Uh, look, there's certainly some good things about getting more people into the healthcare system. For me personally, there's gonna be more people taking pharmaceuticals. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna move more through my channel. That's a good thing. The bad thing is they're looking at reimbursement through that, the entire channel and they're decreasing those reimbursement points. So the margin impact across the segment is going to hurt. So everybody walks into Washington and says, look at my little segment. This is what I mean. You can't touch mine, touch everybody else's. 
uh, and, and, it, and it creates issues. I wish we were better than, than we are. Chip. Didn't you just graduate? You just can't get enough of this stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, always lots of questions all the time. Uh, so one of the uh, interesting experiences we had uh, as recent graduates, we were able to visit Bangkok General um, in Thailand. And the level of IT integration in those hospitals, obviously because it's much more of a greenfield situation and a host of other factors, it was off the charts. I've never seen anything like that. And you mentioned that, you know, McKesson is developing kind of this core competency, particularly as it relates to the pharma side in, you know, integrating uh, information to drive cost out of the system. Do you see opportunities for McKesson to kind of expand your footprint beyond mm -hmm. uh, pharmaceutical delivery and application yep. as a growth uh, area? Great, great question. I, I talked a lot about the distribution piece and especially the, the uh, position that we have in North America that's what I live and breathe every single day. That's what I do. The other, another part of our business um, is our technology business. Um, uh, and the technology business is actually a global business. Uh, we run all of the healthcare systems for uh, Great Britain. Um, I believe we also do it in France and Australia, New Zealand, uh, a number of countries uh, in the world where we have exported our information technology and it's being utilized on a, on a regular basis. So yes. Thank you. I actually have two questions, and I have the mic, so <laughs> I have a feeling John's going to ask uh, you, Brian, to answer the second question. But, but anyway, uh, in, in my past, John, I've worked with Grady Memorial in Atlanta, the largest health system in the southeast, Rapid City um, hospital system, you know, really big. And one of the most frustrating things with these organizations was change, trying to get them to do things differently tomorrow from what they did yesterday. As you bring in new technology or any new system for that matter, the resistance among the employees within that enterprise, whether it's a hospital or a payer or whatever, is, is tremendous. How, how do you deal with engaging those employees within the client company to, to embrace a new technology, a new way, the key learnings and all of that? Because that, that seems to me to be a huge obstacle. And then the second question, I guess I'll just ask you straight, Brian, is, 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 is just from a consumer standpoint, uh, in, in terms of the drug delivery, for example, uh, I had a personal experience. My daughter went to the dermatologist, and he prescribed Solodyne, which is an antibiotic. I guess you guys manufacture, or you have a relationship to manufacture. And there's a card where the first prescription's free, the second one's $10, and the third one's $10. But the fourth one is $1,400, and the, and the insurance company won't pay for it. So in terms of keeping people going, I mean, how, how do you deal with some of these intractable issues in the huge high cost? Now, I'm not saying you get people hooked for the first 90 days because no, there will be a different kind of drug delivery system. That's actually a great question. <laughs> and and a, a great question and two very large concerns as we innovate and try to change how things are done. The first one, uh, you know, when we walk into hospitals and we walk into pharmacies and we talk about implementing technology, there is a change management concept to that. And, and like any um, you know, good change within a corporation, you have to kind of take it from beginning to end on how you change behavior. What we call it is workflow. Uh, what we do is we study 
how a pharmacist actually does his daily business, how a nurse actually does her daily business. And if you can bring technology into their workflow, you're going to be extremely successful. This is how you do it, and this technology keeps you doing it the same way you're doing it. You can do that overnight. That, that's wonderful. If you have to modify workflow in any way, then you have to bring in change management you know, expertise to get these folks uh, you know, moving in the right direction. You also do it by department. I mean, normally you pick the departments who are ready to do it, who have the most pain, uh, and that usually moves through the hospital a lot quicker once it's done in one spot and successful in one spot. But it is change management, it is workflow management, and we have to deal with that on a regular basis. And it is not easy, uh, not at all. The, the second piece is, is in fact, uh, Brian's business, um, and it is our adherence business that I was talking about to keep you on your medication. So of course, that is certainly a phone call that we receive. Hey, I'm on the medication. This is wonderful. $1,400? Are you kidding me? Uh, you know, I'm done. Uh, you know, I got three scripts, but I'm not going to get four. Um, manufacturers also understand that. So manufacturers and payers all know that you get to a point where uh, you, know, you have to finish the regimen. And we have programs that basically say if you are using our adherence program, you're using our cards that we specifically manufacture and work with, uh, that we specifically make and work with the manufacturer, we will give that to you. So when you walk in, we know your fourth prescription is going to be $1,400. We know that. So we say, look, if you sign up for this adherence program, either the manufacturer or the payer or somebody has agreed to reduce the amount of that pay on the fourth if you stay on your regimen, or if you do what you're supposed to do. If you come in here every 30 days, answer these questions, make sure that your blood pressure is right, do the things that you're supposed to do, then the system will give you a discount on that fourth prescription, because we want you to stay on the fourth prescription. Um, and, and those programs vary by manufacturer. I'm not telling you that happens every single time, but most of these manufacturers understand the value of, uh, of a cash-paying customer um, to, to reduce those fees. One more question here, and then I'm going to conclude with a question, and we'll wrap up our evening. Yes, John, thank you for taking my question. I'll just give you two examples. The 98,000 death is too high. I had a personal experience with online and offline. I tell you, my, phys my mom's physician does it on paper. He spends about 15 to 30 minutes, and he does a very good job. Now, he recommended a surgeon. My mom went for both knee replacement. The surgeon is a pioneering in the Bay Area. We made the appointment online. He sent a CV, and I filled out the paperwork, took my mom into the, his office, 55 minutes with the x-rays. We were done. However, when the surgery happened, she ended up having four more times, and then I had to stay all the time to make sure nothing goes wrong. So my thing is, the last numbers that I read were 37,000 deaths and 98,000. If I had not been in the hospital, she might have died. So what can we do to minimize those numbers? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think that was kind of my hope in today's conversation. I mean, I think as individual consumers, uh, whatever hospital that you are, are going to utilize, I think you need to do some research on how much they have done from a technology perspective. If they haven't done anything, uh, then I think you can call your insurance company and go to the other hospital that's in the next town, perhaps, 
um, that is utilizing the technology. Um, so, I mean, I think there has to be a demand from a consumer's perspective. I think there is certainly a mandate from the government's perspective that they're going to have to evolve to the point where they will have technology tracking patients, um, but it's going to take some time. I mean, I, I, we're, we're doing it on a regular basis every single day, uh, trying to get folks to convert uh, and, and utilize the technology to save lives. Um, I think the good news about you know, the government's decision is they understand that there's a tremendous amount of savings uh, within, with, with technology, and they're paying for it. Um, so, you know, the, the health systems need to take advantage of that, need to, to get on the schedule to, to move towards that. That's really all we can do. I mean, I think as individual consumers, know, know the system that you're using. And they'll be more than happy to tell you what they're using or if they're not. Well, they won't be happy to tell you that they're not, but they'll be happy to tell you exactly what they're doing in their hospital to prevent errors. And you could see it. I mean, you could walk in and you could see the technology. Anybody's holding a clipboard? Problem. So the last question I wanted to answer, ask you actually builds on that, and it was um, how do we as individual consumers or within the companies that we're in or influence or some of our business owners in the room, how do we sort of prepare for these changes that are coming down with the new health care bill? I mean, are there some concrete things we can be doing to ensure that we're prepared and we're doing the most we can to ensure quality health care for our companies or for our families? Yeah, I, I would say that if your uh, HR department, your benefits department is not researching uh, what this is going to mean from a tax perspective mm -hmm. and what this is going to mean from a cost perspective to initiate the coverage that we're supposed to uh, be covering or paying for, um, you, need to, you need to get on it pretty mm -hmm. quickly. I would also advocate that as business um, owners or business executives um, that you are utilizing programs that gives your employees the information to track their own health care. Um, and that means, you know, the... Uh, uh, the consumer-driven health care plans, mm -hmm. uh, which are tough at times. I mean, it's tough to say, hey, 100% of the time we take care of you forever, to here's the amount of money we normally mm -hmm. spend on you. It's $8,000 a year or whatever it may be. We're going to give you an account for $8,000, and you have to apply it mm -hmm. to the things that sure. you want to apply it to. It's a difficult transition. Mm -hmm. It takes um, a lot of education, It I takes a lot of education. Of the employees, yeah. Uh, and, and you know what? Uh, we're seeing some early evidence that it does change behavior. Um, and if it can make them healthier and, and reduce costs, I think that's a good thing. Wonderful. Well, thank you, John, so much You're for welcome. being here. We really appreciate your time. My pleasure. John's uh, speech and conversation tonight will be on YouTube uh, shortly, as will all of our other speakers this year. If not you in Washington, uh, no, definitely not in Washington. No. <laughs> And I also did an interview, uh, an audio interview with John earlier, which will be on iTunes. So if you want to hear this again or share it with others or certainly hear any of our other wonderful speakers this year, uh, you will be able to do that. I do have something for you, two things for you, actually, John, before we leave. Okay. First, for being with us today in the Dean's Executive Leadership Series, we have a beautiful picture of the Malibu campus thanking him for being here that you need to put in your office somewhere. Thank you. And then second, and I'm going to unwrap this, I mentioned earlier that we honored John at graduation in December as our distinguished alum. And so one of the things that we do for all of our distinguished alums is we put together a picture album of the day. And so we actually have it for you tonight. And so uh, you'll enjoy this too, Becky. It's fabulous. And there's also lovely pictures of you in Malibu in this too. So anyway, so we want you to have this and thank you so much for being a part of that graduation as well. So.
Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. We hope to see you on October 28th for Randy Pond. Thank you so much. Have a safe trip home.